HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member now. Welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm Greg Blaze, and I'm recording today live from Lucy's Way on the Upper East Side with my good friend Jason Hines, who's here on Cheesemonger Invitational Day. I'm here with Jason for our annual episodes. It's become a Cutting the Curd tradition to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time out to chat with us. It's a pleasure, as always, to be here to chat with you, Greg. Thank you. Uh, to this day, episode 269, Effective Cheesemongery, is one I continually go back to. And actually, Emily and I have created a session at Culture Magazine's Counterculture Events that uses your tasks versus work oh, right. framework. And um, we really find that it's helpful. It, it gets in there. Yeah. Because people don't know. They don't know the difference. And as that episode um, gains maturity, like yep. a cheddar, it uh, gets better with age. So yep. I really appreciated uh, your input there. Any little bits of, uh, any little nuggets of clarity that we can bring to the table, um, we're grateful. Most definitely we are. I wanted to talk to you in the beginning part uh, of, our, of our little session here um, about some topics that um, are a little bit difficult but definitely poignant in, yeah. uh, in, our, in our world. Uh, what I wanted to mention to you or ask you about uh, was your opinion on um, things like like terrorism mm. in 
tourist markets and cheesemongering in yeah. large in large areas, and yeah. that's recently come to affect you most. I mean, most directly, has it not? Well, um, the most recent events in London were on our doorstep, and when I say they were on our doorstep, the you know the assassination of those assailants was maybe forty meters away from the entrance to our cheese shop. That's insane. Um, um, mercifully, the the you know the store was closed because the attack was the attack was at night. Okay. Um, and um, but it was a completely random attack. It could have happened during the day. Um, had they attacked earlier on in the day, and it was a Saturday, the market would have been at its busiest. Sure. Um, had they managed to rent the truck, the larger truck they were trying to rent, but were turned down because the credit company wouldn't accept the large payment that was required to rent this much larger truck, they would have attacked earlier and in a much larger truck. And there would have been many people, many more people present in the market. So it's the random nature of it that is so frightening. And, and that's what I think, you know, everyone in London, including, the, you know, many of the folks in our team find so troubling is that, you know, it, it could be anyone. It could be anyone. Um, and that's the most troubling thing. And I think that's the, it's that factor of fear of the unknown and the randomness of it, um, which, which makes everyone feel so uncomfortable. That's what, that's what terrorism is. Mm. It's uh, fear-mongering yeah. at its worst. And cowardice at its worst. Uh, I mean, I also work in one of the busiest cities in the world, um, Italy. We are, you know, we're extremely busy, and uh, you know, there's just all types of people afoot. Mm. It makes me, as a New Yorker, and when I see things like that happen, uh, I can understand. When, when I was here uh, following 9/11, mm. there were people that I came to work with every day that said I'm out of here mm -hmm. I can't I can't deal with this and then they pieced right out I'm on the other end I'm mm -hmm. like no fuck you I'm yeah. staying this yeah, is absolutely. where I live yeah. no and one's think, getting me out of yeah. where I live is that, were your people that same way? I think everyone feels that way and I think there's a sort of um, you know it, it is true to say that um, through the worst examples of human behaviour you can often then solicit the best examples of human behaviour, and I think the way—I uh, don't know—I know it's a little bit of a cliche, um, but you know the, the the community of people in London of all races, creeds, colours, and religions yeah. um, have come together in a way that um, perhaps they weren't before the attack. Um, and so, and it's all you have to remember also: London is not new. Um, not at all. To terror, you know, we've had various iterations, um, different phases of, of, of attacks from, from different groups over the course of the last sort of 40, 30, 40 years or so. Um, so this is just a different group, um, but it's no less alarming. Um, and, but I think, I think that um, for us, you know, for our staff particularly, um, you know, there were anxious moments, more because the, the store was closed for eight days after the attack, because it was such a serious attack. The whole area was cordoned off by the police and the forensic folks were in there for an awful long time, you know, piecing everything together. And we, it was on, the area was on armed lockdown and one was not able to get in to the area. That's um, right. Apart from the few people who lived in the zone who were allowed in. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it, it, it felt, it felt like it was very serious for a number of days after the attack when of course things were serious. And um, it was only, um, I think a week past Wednesday that the shop reopened. Um, so, you know, that's quite some time. And in all of that time, I think people think about what's happened and actually thinking about it 
is worse if you Much can just worse. get back to if you sure. can just get back on the horse. Sure, that's often the best thing to be doing. That's what I what I really wanted to ask you. What what happened for me at post 9/11 when I was here, and I was quite close. I was below the lower checkpoints. Mm. Uh, my perspective was a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, I came to appreciate a lot more what I did for mm. a living, yeah. and uh, just how peaceable and mm. wonderful mm-hmm. that it was. And uh, I wondered if you saw that in your customers and your employees when they were able to get back into their routine, and, and did that you know did that register with them? Just how lucky we are to live and be able to do the things that we do do. I I, th- I think that there was um, uh, there was a that didn't happen immediately. I sure. think there was a day of adjustment, mm-hmm. um, and then I think so the the waves of relief um, washed upon everyone, and um, then uh, I think you get you you get your hands back on a piece of cheese. <clears throat> you're in front of a customer who really appreciates it, um, uh, and you 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 know you you, you really you relearn why it is you do what you do and why you enjoy it so much. Yeah. Um, but it, you know there's a there's a there was a there was a very nasty interlude there for a lot of them. Um, but I think you know now now we are back to normal and very grateful to be so. Well, that's great, and I'm glad that you're okay. Yeah, yeah, and, no, we're uh, all good. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a scary time. Mm. There's a. The politics of the world and uh, the way that the world is set up are changing drastically. Yeah. Uh, I don't know for better or worse. I just do, do know that things are becoming a little bit different. Well, and I say I think what you have to recognise is that that there is something there is something something has changed, and you can't just carry on as you as no. you as you did before. So what's if you go to the market now? And I went you know I went back the day after it had reopened, and it looked and felt different. Why? Because all of a sudden there was bollards that prevented people going down the street that a week before you were able to drive down. Why? Because there was a lot more police there than before. One or two of them armed. An unusual sight in London, because the police are not really armed in London. Um, And so I think, you know, um, I suppose just as the store that you work in is one of the most populated spots of any place that's visited in the city. Absolutely. Borough Market, I believe now, is the most visited spot of any place in London. There are millions of people going there every year, and we can't be blasé enough to think that it's not a genuine target. It is. And so we have to at least put some steps in um, to make people safer. Yeah. It's it's telling, and, and, and it really really hits me. I've worked with you in the borough market very briefly yep. back in the days, yep. and I really love the energy there. Mm. I love outdoor markets, mm. and I love outdoor markets for selling cheese. Yep. I think it's the best. Particularly in a cool climate like Oh, ours. yeah, mm. it's great. Mm. The cheese doesn't sweat, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but it's it's something that I think about um, mm. that I've always thought about here, mm. uh, just working here in a, in a climate where... You know, things are things are so intense, yeah. and it bleeds over into less deadly things mm-hmm. than than terrorism. Mm-hmm. When we take a look at the politics around what we do, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of fear I feel has crept into the politics of food mm-hmm. and specifically cheese, mm-hmm. as into insofar as what I see from my own government. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a federal level in the way that they become extremely, you know, this is a very litigious and uh, regulatory environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you feeling that where you're from as well? 
Um, I don't think we feel quite the same, uh, you know, the, the same pressures that you've you've been under in the last couple of years here. Um, but there's no question that that that, that um, uh, it seems like it is. Things are becoming more regulatory, um, and you know, there are, there is testing techniques are more sophisticated. It's easier to find the things you want to find, sure, and it's easier to turn the spotlight on something you want to choose to that you, you that you choose to turn the spotlight on and um you know the onus is just as just as the onus is on the people um to keep the market safe by making sure that the right checks and balances and there's the right kind there's the right level of security around the market so i think it's also appropriate that they that you know that there should be the right levels of of um safety around cheese manufacture and food manufacture um, it shouldn't be onerous shouldn't be too heavy and over prescribed um, but it shouldn't be absent too sure. uh, and I think it's finding that level which is the difficult thing um, and it's a very you know that's a fine it's a fine balance to find why um, here more than there um, I don't think it is I mean I, I, I think it's not that it's more I don't know that it's more here than there it just feels like that I'm not in this market but I do know that um, in recent years there's been a lot of um, uh, there's been a lot of activity and a lot of and the spotlight that we just referred to has really been pointed on raw milk cheese and um, you know as a company most of the cheeses that we work with are made with raw milk yeah um, as a company I think we probably are um, the company that exports more raw milk cheese to the US than any other. So when um, the spotlight was turned on um, the imports of raw milk cheese, we had many more cheeses that were stopped, tested, um, than, than, than any other company. Sure. Ours is the greatest percentage of raw milk cheeses that were tested of the quota that they were required to test. So it, we did feel a little bit picked upon. Um, and Are you it, pushing through that? Well, that's been you know the testing was done, mm -hmm. and 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 you know uh, that we we came out with really really um, we came out with no positive results, which okay. is a good thing. Um, so I think that we re you know I think we redeemed um, the, the the cheeses that we ex you know the cheeses that we export and the people that that, um, that make those cheeses um, came out with flying colours. But um, the process took a long time. It cost an, all cost us as a company a lot of money. Um, and um, we did feel slightly victimised, but um, in the end, I think that the spotlight is now shining on someone else or something else, and we're glad not to have the spotlight shining on us. Money is an important factor when it comes to dealing with all of this. Uh, what I'm finding, what I'm finding in my travels lately, I was up in Vermont and I've been visiting producers. Uh, that money that you were spending, that Niels Yard Dairy was spending, that was to protect your producers, yeah. correct? Yeah. So you were in effect paying for their mm. for their testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, here well, in the we were. Well, I, I think that that in the end, the testing, mm. they, you know, the, the the testing that was being done, they were paying for, but we also contributed to. We lost the cheese. We didn't get repaid for all the cheese right. that was... You absorbed those losses. A, the, yeah, we're talking about losses that amount to thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, and so, yeah, uh, the, we, you're right to say that, that um, you know, the money that we've spent there is, is securing the future market for the cheesemakers that, that have come to depend on that market over the last 25 years or so. This is my, biggest, my, biggest, my, my largest fear 
about, or one of my largest fears about the about the U.S. artisan cheese market of a raw milk mm-hmm. cheeses that are made of a raw milk nature. Mm-hmm. That there's the the ad the advocacy for them and the ability to get that done through distributors, which you are, mm-hmm. that yeah. is is just not there. Mm-hmm. I I don't think mm-hmm. maybe it is, but I'm I'm not seeing it there mm-hmm. um, in America. No. Um, when I visited some some cheese makers, they they were telling me, and I'm not going to name name names, but they were telling me that the you know people were coming in to, to test them. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, the people I was, I was touring with said, well, what are they testing you for? And the guy was like, I don't know. Mm-mm-mm. And I'm like, well, how the fuck does that make sense? Mm-mm-mm. So I've found, and especially in light of a lot of stuff that's gone on here, recalls, um, issues with raw milk, particular problems that we've had, I, I, I just really, and, and I know we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but it's still affecting me. It's like, yeah, we know this. We know that no one's out there, that the that the state governments aren't really supporting them, the federal governments aren't really supporting them. But let's move on to something else. But I, I find it hard because those chickens are, you know, are going to come home to roost quickly. And I fear for my industry, for people who are, who are new to the industry, if that makes sense. Um, and, and, and I also find that... Somewhere along the line, that's going to affect quality because cheese needs to mature, certain cheese. And uh, I was given cheese that, that wasn't ready for sale, but I knew that it had to be pushed out of where I was. And so I had it, for the first time in my entire career, I had a real ethical uh, dilemma with that. I, I love to, to support cheese makers. And if you have extra cheese, I'll buy it. You know, if I can support you in any way, I, I, I try to. Italy is great about that. We're fantastic. But buying cheese that isn't ready to offset other costs, man, that's a tough spot for me to be in. You know? But there's another point too, which is that um, you know, in terms of safeguarding the future, because we're right. in a, we're in a market. We, we know we're we're in a we, we're working in a market with a, with a. Excuse me. With a product that's um, increasingly in demand, people are looking for food with flavour. They're looking for cheese with flavour, um, and so there's a lot of cheese makers have come into the market recently in the last one to fifteen years. Many, many, and and um, uh, they need to be encouraged to do so. Um, one because there's a market, and they know there's going to be a demand for the cheese that they might that they, they that they might make because. There'll be there's an increasing demanding public, but also they want to know that actually it's not going to be too difficult for them to make this stuff Certainly. because there's not too many regulations around it, and that they're going to be able to make something that they're passionate about making. So you know it's important that yes yes there must be regulations around all of this, um, but if it's um, if it's too onerous then they'll be encouraged to go and do something else, um, and then we all as cheese businesses that sell cheese are in a difficult spot because we all know that we depend entirely for our livelihoods on people who are making great cheese. Yes, we do. That's tough. Tough, but an interesting thing to speak about. Mm. Uh, Well, thank you for that interlude. Mm. And uh, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and talk about something that you briefly mentioned to me while we were having lunch here, Mm. which was... Direction of travel. Direction of travel. Mm. So stick with us and uh, we'll talk about that straight away.
Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com, and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm still here at Lucy's Way with Jason Hines. I've uh, managed to secure him for at least another 10 minutes in his travels, so I'm happy to have him here. Uh, there was a, a thing that you mentioned right before the break, direction of travel. Mm, yeah. uh, I'm always interested to hear what you have to say, your philosophies, uh, your uh, historian nature, as uh, I believe you to be a, a very, very good historian, and uh, um, I really, really appreciate your view of the past and how things came to be. Uh, you know, uh, your legend is my reality, and I'm completely comfortable with that. So, uh, thank you You're for welcome. all of that knowledge that you bestowed upon me. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about direction of travel. What does that mean? So, I've just been thinking in, uh, uh, in the last few months um, as um, I've been coming to the States, so impressed by how fast things are moving, quality of the cheese that's being produced, the youth of the people making the cheese, um, the quality and youth of the people selling the cheese. Um, and, uh, and I'm watching that direction of travel. I'm looking at how things are evolving because I've been coming and watching these things in the US market, cheese marketplace since 1992. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if I cast my, my mind back 25 years, where, where we are now from where we were then, it, it's... Um, unrecognizable. Know, it, it, utterly unrecognizable. Yeah, in a good way, I hope. Indeed. And, um, uh, but the thing is that there are many similarities between... Um, the UK cheese market and how it's evolved, the UK specialist cheese market and how it's evolved, and the US special speciality, or specialty, I think you call it here. Specialty. Specialty, we have an extra I in the word speciality. And so, um, so uh, what, what's interesting to me is that our direction of travel is slightly further forward in time sure. than yours. But I look back at what the events are the, or the, the events that so have like been touchstone it, events it, that... touchstone events in our journey um, and, uh, and I wa- I'm watching some of them happening um, in the US direction of travel and so it's interesting now to zoom in a little bit as to what's happening in the UK because maybe there could be some indications about you know what things you might come up against in the US um, if you are to look at our you know our direction of travel um, because um, let's take a couple of examples. I like that. 
We've, we started in the 90s um, in the UK to see more and more new cheeses inspired by continental recipes beginning to appear. Yeah. Um, in the earlier, you know, in the, in the decade before, there weren't really any soft mold ripened goat's milk cheeses or many soft cheeses at all. Very few. Made by hand. There was a few in made in factories, but there weren't really any You far- mean in the United in States? The, no, sorry, in the, in, UK, the UK, in the UK. In the UK, in okay. the UK. Okay. So, this is, so we're going back to the 90s. We're in the United Kingdom, and people began, to, they began making some of these continental soft um, often mold ripe and sometimes washed dry. Like the Wigmore, Wigmore would be that? an example. Um, our own cream. We made a cheese called Ragstone. Ragstone. Um, there was Golden Cross. There were very few of these. Scattered of, a little bit. They were. There were. There just very few of these types. Um, and so what happened was that um, you know some of them were good, some of them were, were great, some of them were not so good. Certainly. But they all sold. And there was a much greater demand for these cheeses sure. than any of these cheesemakers had the capacity to supply. So the problem became that um, the cheesemakers were not really motivated to continue to improve the trajectory of their quality because the, me- the, message, the message they were getting from the marketplace is that it was fine because yeah. they couldn't make as much cheese as the market wanted. Right. And so, um, good for them good for their business but not necessarily good for their future yeah um so we got to a point let's just zoom in on the the category of mold ripe and goat's milk cheeses inspired by the success of one or two um and with a great demand more people began to make mold ripened goat's milk cheese and so um during the course of the 2000s the landscape changed all of a sudden there was more variety and with that variety competition meant that those who historically it was their god-given rights to just have an, an you know a never-ending demand for their cheese yeah, for their mediocre product kind correct of, correct they had to up their game that's exactly right um and so you know that phase took about 15 years sure from the from the point when there was very few and they were regard they were they were sort of benchmarked the best in class 15 years 10 to 15 years later we started to have a, a much more competitive marketplace, which is much better for the consumer. Certainly. Um, and actually, some of those early earlier pretenders um, had to take a step back and when retool. they went and retool to, to actually start to compete. Um, and so that was a really that was a good phase. And I think you know, if I look around at what I'm seeing in the states, there's a lot of new people, a lot of new cheesemakers coming into the industry. Many. I was talking with Andy Hatch about this yesterday. Uh, and an episode that will come out. There's yeah. a lot of cheese out there yeah, yeah, in the yeah. market, and there's a lot of mm. cheese makers. Uh, but please go but, on. But there's such a yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of cheese makers out there, but the range of quality is dramatic. It's but the but it will continue to remain dramatic that range as so long you, as ever as long as everybody is selling everything. Right. Okay. So what needs to happen is as we are also adding the rank. You know, we're adding to the ranks of the number of cheese shops out there. Yes. Um, you know that demand is going to increase and as that demand increases the number of people encouraged to make cheese in the same categories increases too sure and so you get to a point where competition begins to actually play a really positive um, has a very positive effect on the trajectory of quality Mm -hmm. so um, so I'm thinking that we'll see you're beginning to see some of that in the States and we've in certain categories we're a little further ahead um, because uh, you know, um, uh, we, I think our country 
started to you know develop an interest in these new fangled um, invention invented cheeses only 10 or 15 years before you did right so or invented in your in your country yeah exactly and, and exactly yeah it reiter- you know interpretations yeah um, so look, looking at that um, has, has led me to think a lot more about what does the next phase look like um, what's it looking and, like for and you I think that for us um, we're starting to see something that's happening more and more in the last five years or so we've had more and more um, inquiries from dairy farmers, people who just, they have milk and they may have been milking cows for a, you know, a short while or for generations, um, but they're not helped by the vagaries of the commodity milk price. Mm. Um, uh, here's the key. And, and, right? and really, you know, just as, um, you know, as cheese mongers, we're totally dependent on the people that supply us with cheese and the quality of cheese they supply us without those people without that quality we have no business so as there are more cheesemongers appearing in the UK as well where are they going to get that cheese from because I think we're on a collision course if um, we don't have the quality of milk to be transformed into cheese in the future and the problem that I see is that um, with the commodity milk price as low as it has been um, very often in the last three years, it's been less than the cost of the price of the milk has been less than the right. cost of the milk, the, pro- the production of yeah. the milk. That clearly is not a sustainable position. And it's And the, the, the dairy farmers for whom it's the least sustainable are the small dairy farmers. So they're, they're getting and, eaten up. And they, 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 they're going, well, they're getting eaten up or they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're either disappearing altogether or they're they're being bought, but typically they're going out of business. Either way, they're, and not, the, they're not existing in what they, the original iteration of what they were. Correct. And, and the, they either have to compromise the milk that they're producing and right. compromise that, the quality of the milk they're producing, make, perversely make more of it, and, and, and all they're Which doing... And all, but all the thing is, all they're doing by making more is creating is 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 um, perpetuating the reason why the milk price is low. Yeah, it's because it. because the, the the milk price is low when you have a surplus of milk. I know. And so so that's not a way to respond. No, it to isn't. produce more. We the, do that in the United States here when we do we do something called a, a currency ease. Yeah. Where where we decide that that we need more money, so we just print more money. Yeah, exactly. And we put more in exactly, the market. Exactly. And it's like that's why the dollar is yeah. worth. Twenty percent of what it was ten yeah, years yeah. ago. Quantitative, and, eas- quantitative easing, e- right. easing. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and that's what you're talking about, yeah. I think. Well, so exactly, and so the the, the problem is that um, uh, in the meantime, either you make more milk and you you, you keep uh, um, you, you perpetuate a situation where there is a greater amount of milk than there is um, uh, a need, a need, um, and then the milk price will remain as low as it is. Um, the only way the milk price can go up is if people stop producing it, and all, there's, no, there's no longer a surplus. There's a yeah. scarcity. But the people who are most likely to go to the wall are the small people sure. who produce the best milk, which yes. has the greatest potential for producing the best cheese. It perpetuates our industry. So, but, yeah. so what we've seen um, more of recent in recent years in the UK, um, and uh, we've had a number of approaches from these dairy farmers uh, as a business. People knocking on the door saying, "We have good milk. We think we 
want to add value to that milk yeah. because if we fail to do that, we will no longer be able to keep cows and produce milk. Um, so therefore, um, to add the premium to that milk, we'd like to make cheese because it seems that there's a way of adding value to the milk. That's what it's and we don't know what We don't know how to do it. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to get the information. Help. That's basically been, uh, and we've had, you know, a, That's where you're good, at a, right good, a goodly number of those inquiries. Yeah. And there are several cheeses that, um, you know... Uh, uh, you you're know, saving the milk. So, so, so there's, a, there's a few examples out there now of cheeses where that story has happened. Which? Tunworth is an example. Certainly. Was one of the first where they had, a, you know, at the time they had a, a small herd of uh, Ayrshire cows. They needed to add value. They decided cheese making was what they wanted to do. Um, and they came to us and spent some time um, uh, understanding what type of cheese it was that they should make. Um, there was no good handmade Camembert-style cheese being produced in the UK, and so we went down that track and worked very closely with them to help develop that cheese, and yeah. now it's a successful business. You two needs. Yeah. You, you, you saved the milk and you made a cheese that wasn't in your market. Exactly. And, uh, and you set the market yeah. for that cheese, and, and you gave other people an idea to do the same thing yeah. down the road. Yeah. That, that's all well. So, so, that, so that's one example. There's another example that I know is a cheese that's close to your heart, which is Galworth Caerphilly. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so, it, so this is a good story because I think it's another iteration of, but it's 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 um, it's it's finding solutions for transforming good milk into great cheese. Sure. So, um, uh, and there are many people out there who are interested in making cheese, but don't have the necessarily the wherewithal or the or the funds, particularly if they're young, to be able to go into buy a farm. Farms are expensive. Goddamn right. Land is expensive. Yeah. Cheese farming equipment is farming, expensive. Is, farming is expensive. Animals are expensive too. Yeah. The upkeep of everything there, yeah. if you want to do it on a farmstead level, that's that's like buying a car yeah. one piece at a time. Exactly. Like I'll buy the tires from yeah. you, the engine from you, yeah. right? Exactly. And, then, and then you end up with this massive mountain of debt and you, you lose sight of what, exactly. what your point was in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly right. So in the in the Gorth example, um, uh, you know, they were interested to move from West Wales to Somerset. They were interested in taking on a farm, but the cost of it was far too far too high. Yeah. It was unaffordable for them. them out. So we, uh, I remember very well having a chat with um, with Martin about you know what they were going to do, and um, what he the reason for moving was he wanted better quality milk. The milk that he was buying in at the time in Wales wasn't wasn't producing great right. cheese and so led by w one single thing which was find the best milk he went to Somerset and started knocking on farm doors dairy farm doors and he was in the fortunate position that he already had a business transforming half a million litres of milk um, he had us as a customer another a, um, big supermarket customer that's a very reputable customer in, in England but um, what, was, what was interesting about this story is that he was looking for the best milk, uh -huh. and he knew there was dairy farmers out there that were looking to add value to their milk. Sure. Okay. So um, what's what's nice? What's what's been nice about the story of the Trithowns for the last three or four years, and the story of Gore with Caerphilly, is the marriage yeah. of two two groups with different requirements that that that, um, that, that sync very well together. Sure. The, the the farmer is looking at some way that he can add, he or she can add, add value. value to their milk. So they basically have an agreement where a certain, you know, a certain they, they pay um, a premium of a certain number of pence per liter mm -hmm. over 
the, the, the market right. price of the milk, yep. the market price that, that day of the milk. That happens too on a little scale. Mm. But I'm sorry, please, yeah, yeah. please go on. So, so, um, so that you know, so that's a that's a real benefit to the farmer. Um, and in some cases, you can also, you know, I think they've also got written to the contract certain stipulations about what the quality of milk needs to be right. in order for them to pay to that, that to get that price. Sure. Yeah. And then that that shows itself in the in the end product of the cheese. The better the quality, the better the milk is for the the, the better the, the milk type is for the type of cheese they want to make. Right. The more cheese they're going to sell. That's interesting. And so so what they didn't need to do, because they're on farm. I mean, the milk is coming from the parlor straight into the vat. Great. Um, and so, um, you know, it's a gravity-fed pump, and all of that was, al- they, they were allowed to build all that into their system. The farm had space, it had land, it had cows, it just didn't have a premium. Sure. And that's what they're looking for. They added value. The cheesemaker didn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. but needed space, yeah. needed a building, which the farmers built for them, yeah. just an agricultural building, and they built the creamery inside that, but that was within their budget. They were also and the, able. And the cheesemaker brings sweat equity to the yeah. table. Well, they, in this case, in this crap. case, in this case, it's their own business because they already had an established business. Yeah. So that's the that's the second version. There's another version which is happening at the moment in my own village, um, where there's a, um, a dairy farm that's been established for generations. The milk is incredible. Um, the farm manager is really a real visionary. Um, the, 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 the 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 lays that he's been putting into the farm over the course of the last ten years. Created this, created this incredible pasture. Um, he's got what a lot kind of, of cows. He's got um, a mixture of British Friesian and Shorthorns, which are you know the, the native um, mm-hmm. English breed. Um, they, the milk's organic. The milk's it's the milk's amazing. Um, and so again, they need to have the premium for for this. Otherwise, for, they for this just milk. get lumped in with a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, there's that that's yeah. being sold for cheap, and there just gets tossed in. No one will appreciate that quality yeah. and all the work that Rob's no, no. putting to into put yeah. to, to spend. He spent ten years so far yeah. making this pasture, um, the kind of pasture that is going to produce amazing milk, particularly for cheesemaking. Sure. Um, but if it's mixed in with the, with the rest of it, it's, it's bullshit. It's, it's it, disappeared. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. So, um, so sim- so we're getting these inquiries. People. F- Dairy farms, you know, they're interested in in um, you know in 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 good in in transforming in, in adding value to their milk. But also, what's happening more recently, we're getting people um, like the Trithowns, but actually people who don't make cheese at all or are interested in making cheese. So they're t- working with a talking to a couple. Um, both work for the Canadian High Commission. They're in their young, they're in their early thirties. They've been making cheese at home for the last three years. Okay, territorial cheese is what they want to make. Um, and the cheeses they brought in from home are fantastic. Right. But they have no they money. They scale that they don't, up. They don't, they don't have any, they don't yeah. really have any, you know, a lot of money to start up a farm. They want to leave, they no, want to get out, they want to, they want to get, they want to get out of London. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we've got these people approaching us who want to make cheese. Another group who are farmers that are approaching That's us great. because they want to add value. So we just put them together. Mm. So um, I would imagine within the next six to 12 months, there will be one of the first raw milk, Single herd, organic, double Gloucesters to have been made in Gloucestershire for decades. Right, and you did and that that's by great. putting the milk. We're just and the cheesemakers just together. putting them together. Yeah. You know, our, you know, it's one of the opportunities that we have as a business yeah. is you know to understand the market um, in the middle. Yeah, the cheesemakers and the sorry, the cheesemakers on the left and the dairy farms on the right. right. Uh, have a, a conversation about what quality we in the middle in the market require and inspire those other two parties That's to come terrific. together and, and, and you know, um, produce that level of quality which we believe will help to secure our own future because as I said earlier on 
without that quality of cheese, well, our business, our business, well, we just don't have a business. You don't. So if I'm looking into the future, I'm thinking, well, where is the where is the future cheese going to come from? Right. And the future cheese has got to come from the best milk. Yeah. And so um, we, we need to be looking out for that. We need yeah. we need to understand what what is it what does the best milk mean? Right. Um, how do you understand what's good milk and what's not good milk? Um, you know, these are things that are not really, these are things, these are things that are not really spoken about. You know, you might go, you know, you might go into any, any book which talks to you about, um, making cheese and it will say, start with milk, but it doesn't say anything about what happens before that. What is milk? What is milk? What is good milk? What is bad milk? Who builds the fucking pasture? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Layering that, layering that. And just to go way back, when you talk about direction of travel, so you see the United States, there's always been a lot of types of cheese made here, yeah. and there's always been mediocrity, yeah. because people love cheese in the United mm-hmm. States, and these producers, as in England, mm-hmm. uh, there are more of them, it's a bigger country, yeah, yeah. And, and, but but it's the same idea. Absolutely. You could make soft, let's say soft ripened, uh, mold ripened cow cheese, you mm-hmm. know, like what we would call, and we call it whatever the hell we want, we call it brie, we call it camembert, we call it whatever, so that then, and those people, they, they are like, hey, nobody's complaining, yeah, they're right. buying everything, yeah, exactly. because, and the and the consumer is sort of like, well, I'm going to buy something, like, this is all that's available to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. but now, um, when it's, when the milk is so cheap, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're starting to blur the lines, uh, so totally here mm-hmm. with family farms versus uh, large industrial farms and those little people are getting eaten up and the people who make really good milk mm-hmm. the guy who supplied the milk to my friend uh, Jos Volto up in uh, in um, uh, in upstate New York mm-hmm. and incredible milk but he had to sell most of it yeah, yeah, yeah. to Horizon to Organic mm-hmm. just to get that little bit for himself to make cheese yeah, right, right? Yeah, yeah. so I see where you're talking about with the timeline mm-hmm. and how that, that, that breaks apart because mm-hmm. eventually you know, he wanted to make milk with his own. With, he wanted to make cheese with his own no, milk. No, you're right. So, we're, so the other guy has to go to, to another source to get milk. So I, I, I think, you, yeah, you know what I mean. So we, so we catch up, and, and I think that because we move a little faster here, yeah, exactly. We'll catch up. It you might will, not you take will. fifteen years. No, 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 it won't. It'll take six years. Exactly, I agree. Because we're going to run out of good milk, and yeah, I yeah. hate to be the. You, or that's how well, I, well, I think I think the you know so the whole the whole discussion is around is around I mean, what, what I'm saying making sense. No, no, to complete. You? No, it makes complete sense. And I think I think what's really important in this discussion and what we need to be thinking about in the future is what's yeah. good milk and what's it worth. Right. So so if if you you know it, and it's all about moving away from the you know the, the, right. com, the and understand you know this this perception that things should be priced you know in a, mm. in a commodity fashion. So in England, 25, 30 years ago, many cheeses. Um, was sold, you know, in the, the price of many cheeses, there was was sold in a commodity way. So let's take Lancashire because we were talking about Lancashire yes. earlier on. Yes. And um, like to talk about Lancashire. So 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 when uh, we began as a business to buy Lancashire in the very early eighties, there was a commodity price for Lancashire cheese, and we've referred to this, I think, in uh, in an earlier episode, where we did. Where, where Mrs. Kirkham was paid one pound twenty. A pound for her cheese, um, which was more or less the same price as the big factory up the road that was charging the same thing, because the market had this perception. The market uh, there was a market price for Lancashire, um, irrespective of how much was made, what the quality was, whether it was farmhouse or not, whether it was raw milk or not, whether it was natural rinded or whether it was in wax. 
there was just kind of this understanding in the marketplace that Lancashire cost one twenty a pound. That's what it was. So yeah. that's, that's how it went. Sure, sure. And so it was only when Randolph said, well, you know, um, it, when Mrs. Kirkham was about to go to the wall, that he said, look, well, if you make it for me without the wax, just with the, with the cloth, um, cloth but, uh, rind that's been buttered, I'll give you a premium. I'll give you an extra 50p a pound. Sure. Big increase. That's huge. Big deal for her. Save the business. Yeah. So then, then what you then what you're establishing is a two tier system, mm-hmm. which which is much more reflective of quality. And so I think what's happened since that moment is that we now have a much more established understanding in the marketplace of those tiers of quality. Right. It's all cheese. Yeah. It's, it's all like, it's all Lancashire. Like animal farm. It's, it's, you know, all yeah. animals are created equal, but yeah. some are a little more equal than others. Exactly. Exactly. So there's so there's Lancashire and Lancashire, but there's a different price for the two. Now, we've understood that now, I think, with cheese, but it hasn't really happened with milk. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we have a, if we have a future, if, we have, if, the, if there's going to be a quality cheese industry in the future, then something has to happen. With the there milk. needs to be some sort of evolution in the way that quality of milk, how, well, understanding what like quality some, of milk is. needs to be set aside. Yeah. I mean, there, there needs to be, yeah, there needs to be two markets. There yeah, needs yeah. to be a market from milk for cheese. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then within that market, milk yeah. for cheese, that gets spliced up into mm. different types of cheese. Yeah, yeah. And then everything Cause, else. Because the other thing is that, that, you know... Can we get there, though? Quality, quality of milk for drinking yeah. and the constituents... Um, that are required because you know the milk price that you the price that you get for your milk um, in England is determined to some degree by how much fat is in the milk. Right. But actually, milk w- with a lot of fat in doesn't make great cheese. You what you really want is a different. You know you you want you want a, you have to need a particular you want type. Different constituents that will make better cheese. Right. Um, and so you know an appreciation of what those different types of milk are. Sure. What they're going to be transformed into, sure. and, and what your um, what the price for that's going to be, um, and you know having a more more um, a stratification of price and quality with so, liquid milk, I think is what's going to guarantee. So you're the doing this. You are doing well, this. No, we're it? not. Well, we're, it, well you're I, involved. It's just in it. beginning to happen. Right. Yeah. So, so what do you see? So, it's, I have two questions. Mm. One, as a, as cheesemongers mm. um, who don't maybe have the reach. And the scope that the Neil's Yard Dairy does, what do we do? What do the people who listen to this program do in order to help ensure that that happens? What can we do? What can you do? That's a big question. Well, really, mm. you know, because I, because otherwise we're pissing in the wind a little bit. I think what you have to do is you have to understand, and you have to understand from the cheeses that you're tasting, understand more. Uh, you be able to trace that back more when you Today. have a when you have a good cheese mm-hmm. to understand why is it a good cheese right. and where where uh, uh, where in the process of the cheese of from that cheese being made to the cheese that you have in the counter what what part of that was to do with how good the milk was and how do not we all, find out that information you have to find it you, you know you, you've got to, you you know you need to put pressure on the people that supply you that so cheese you need to have a, to a better relationship a better knowledge yeah. of where your product comes from not only the town that it was made mm. or the people who drive it to you people but the grass from which the milk was yeah. was made that's yeah. that's the type of understanding that and it's just if we're going to sustain this and keep quality in this market yeah. Uh, as Americans, because we're disparate here, yeah. there's a lot of 
there's a lot of land here. There's a lot of milk. There's a lot of people. A lot of people do things in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But I mean, and it makes sense. So we just got to dig deeper. We have to. Well, we just have. To, yeah, we have to understand what good milk is. Sure. And, and, and who's um, doing and that in England? Are you, you guys? Are you guys? Are working with. We're spending much, you know, we're spending much more time as a business, and not me so much, but there's others in the business looking at this much more intently. Um, you know, looking at milk um, on farms with the with the producers that we're work, working with. You know, there's some very simple tests that you can do sure. to understand whether milk is good or bad. Yeah. Um, you know, and it should be. You know, really, one of the things that um, you know, uh, Bronwyn, Jen, and David, and others who work with us, who spend much more time on, you know, spend much of much um, of their time on farms, are encouraging cheesemakers to understand whether you know how good their milk is and it's a difficult thing for them to do because um, the, the test itself is a lacto-fermentation test so you just literally sour the milk and um, once you sour that milk it turns into a yogurt and that yogurt could taste delicious and then you know if it's in... not very good yeah it will taste disgusting yeah, yeah, yeah the, um, and so um, the, the least the, amount of ingredients yeah. the least amount of time. It's, it, but in its purest form right, right, right at the right. beginning you can find yeah. out whether you've got good right. milk or not and if you were to do that every day and you make cheese with, the, with that yeah. milk every day right. and those two things are happening concurrently you have a good idea whether that cheese is going to be good or bad. Yeah. So, as a, as a cheesemonger, we, you know, as cheesemongers, we, we need to be tracing that back more to understand and asking more questions of the sure. people that are transforming that milk sure. for them to encourage them to understand, you know, how much understand how much control they have over that and how port, how important it is for that milk to be good. Yeah. because um, you can't turn, you can't make great cheese out of shit milk no you can't mm. and so to circle all the way back around to our other episode and uh, effective cheesemongering mm. and that's our work yeah exactly that's our yeah, work yeah. and that's yeah, that the is not next a task. level of work indeed after you've gone through all the tasks we mentioned yeah. and all the work that we've done absolutely up to that point that's our next level of yeah. work. And I think that here work, and in the UK yeah. and other markets yeah. to get I, to where we need I think to that's be. the most important piece of work that all of us have to focus on in the next phase. Um, because if we do that, then we will safeguard the future of the farms and the cheese businesses that we all work with. That is awesome. I'm going to end right there because. Uh, yeah, that's the right spot to end. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jason, for your time. Thanks for listening. Do the work. Do the tasks, find out where your milk comes from and whether or not it's any good. Stay tuned for more Cutting the Curd next week. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.